Hi, everyone. This is Adam Nicholson, and welcome to the Help More People podcast, where our goal is to help spiritually conscious entrepreneurs find more clients and help more people. Today, we have Petra Kolber with us. Petra is the author of The Perfection Detox, Tame Your Inner Inner Critic, Live Bravely, and Unleash Your Joy, a number one book on Amazon. Petra is also a two-time cancer survivor, and her mission is to get people to move more and fear less. So welcome, Petra. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, I know the intro I gave you does not do you justice at all. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about you and what you're doing. Okay, sure. So firstly, Adam, my inner critic, first, I wanted to correct myself and the just, so when you said number one book on Amazon, we launched as the number one new release on Kindle, um, on Amazon Kindle. Yes. Is that right? But not, we're no longer number one right now. Unfortunately, we've been, we've been toppled by many other books. So that's my inner critic going, okay, don't have everyone <laughs> set these great expectations. Um, so yeah, so I'm an author. I, I go out into the world and and do a lot of speaking these days. My background for, gosh, two plus decades was in the world of fitness, where I would travel around the world teaching people hopefully how to, you know, find their true self and best self through movement. And yeah, and now I'm here with you on this, on your amazing show, trying to, again, just like you said, like the book, just help us all become our best selves so we can do great work and share our best work in, into the world. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, how you can create your best self through movement? Well, I think the a great question, Adam. To me, it's not the movement itself. It's the why behind movement. So research is now saying that sitting is the smoking of our generation. And for most of your listeners, your, the entrepreneurs out there, I mean, I have a standing desk now. And this is, came from someone I used to teach like, you know, 20 classes a week and live in the gym. And now I have a hard time just getting 10,000 steps in. But when it comes to being our best selves, emotionally, creative, creatively, our focus, our willpower, our determination, uh, our attention, the best place for our mind is when our body is moving. The Mm. unfortunate thing is the industry that I was in and still am in to a certain degree, Adam, we made, uh, instead of movement being a tool to help us, it almost became a weapon against ourselves. Because the mistake, I believe, the industry that I love so dearly, the fitness industry, and the diet industry to a certain extent, we made the, defini- uh, the definition of success when it came to movement, how we look like, how we look. So you were, move- you were moving, many people I work with were moving to lose weight, to be a certain size, to be a certain number on the scale. When we move for those reasons, it is never going to help us become our best self. In actuality, it separates us from our best self. Because we're not moving as a celebration of who we are today. We're moving ourselves almost as a punishment of who we wish we could be tomorrow. Mm. And, yeah, and when we move with the idea of, 
Um, I'm going to move today because I want to be focused and give my full attention to the matters at hand. I'm going to move today so I know when my body moves more, my mind becomes more still. I know when I move more, I'll be able to give my full attention to the people that I love and the work that I do. I know when I move more, I'm going to be less likely to be anxious, less likely to be stressed, less likely to be depressed. When we move for the right reasons, we look at the why behind why we move. It's one of the greatest tools we can use for our mental health, our spiritual health, and our well-being. But again, I for a while there, Adam, as I was pivoting into speaking, I created a it was like a mini brand called Moving to Happiness. And my tagline was, I'm not here to change your workout. I'm here to change why you work out. So I think the biggest thing for many of your listeners is, you know, if we're sitting right now, I'm sitting (laughs) as I speak to you, you know, once this is over or hopefully, you know, take this podcast on the go, you know, listen to this great, great insights from Adam, but be moving your body. And so that's just the message. We can't do um, amazing work if we're constantly sitting still. It, our best work will never come to a very still body. Mm-hmm. Well, what advice do you give to, you know, I, for, for someone like me, I, I feel like I'm the same way. I have a standing desk, even though I think I use it mostly in a sitting position. But, um, and I try to go to the gym and, and, and walk quite a bit. But, you know, sometimes it, as you know, when you're running your own business, it's just meeting after meeting and crisis after crisis. Like how, what is, can you give us some tips on some easy things we could do to integrate movement? Yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing is, Adam, like whether you have a standing desk or not, and especially when you are in a crisis mode, you know, if you're on a call that's in a crisis or you're dealing with a client that is in crisis, if you can even have them just stand up. And if it's, if it's a phone call where you don't have to be behind your computer, I would even encourage you to encourage your, the people that you work with. If your listeners are working with clients, can maybe you do a couple of meetings on the go? Can you do some, um, you know, we can, our phone, the technology is so amazing to connect us, but it's also made us very disconnected. Standing is a great place to start. I have not to promote, you know, I have a Fitbit, not Fitbit, I actually have an Apple watch, which I didn't wear for the longest time because I didn't know how to separate my phone from the watch. And I just didn't want my texts and my emails coming onto my wrist. So finally last week, I actually went to the Genius Bar and got them to unplug that part of the watch. And I I have to say, I laugh at myself. I look at my rings now. If you have an Apple Watch, I just closing your rings is an amazing thing. So using little metrics, you know, some I say data is can be very useful if we don't use it as a measurement of our own worth. But sometimes just if technology works for you, use a Fitbit, use something just to remind you to stand up. Use something as simple as standing up for five minutes every hour. And then also, I think in the world that we live in as an entrepreneur myself, to come back, oh my gosh, it's very easy to let everything else get in the way. There's always something we could be doing. There's always something more. Our work never ends. But I think we have to disconnect completely from our work at some point to be able to come back fully revived, energized with a new perspective. So I just think, can you get out, you know, even in winter or summer, wherever you live, 15 minutes out in nature, wherever you can. You know, I live in New York City. I can still get to the river. I can still get to the park. And if nothing else, can you connect to your breath? Can you sit and be aware of your breath for a minute every hour? Because the 
the greatest place that we can be to do our greatest work as an entrepreneur is in the present. And our breath anchors us to the present. And as entrepreneurs, we are not that great, not speaking to everyone out there, but I know for myself personally, I'm not that great for being residing in the present because there's all the future I could be doing. And there's more than likely something in my past I wish I'd done differently. And so just by, you know, even moving your breath on a deeper level, Andrew Weil says, one of the greatest things we can do is just to learn to breathe properly which sounds so simple, but can you slow down your breath? Can you, if you're feeling stressed, lengthen your exhale, listen to your breath. These simple, they sound so simple, Adam, but these little tools that we can use throughout our day will help us, you know, be better during those crisis moments and better able to um, act upon them versus react to a situation. Mm. Yeah, I really love that that piece, particularly the piece about living in the present and not staying so attached to what will be or what has been. I think that's so hard for all of us. And I know for me can easily get stuck in that sort of whirlpool. Um, The whirlpool of rumination, you know, it's like, it's, you know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda. And, you know, there's nothing wrong in looking back as an entrepreneur. I mean, we want to look back and reflect, but yet we want to be able to put action behind even our past. So what we tend to do when we're not moving, Adam, when we're sitting, our brain then moves more. And it goes into that spin cycle, like you said, and we'll be looking at something that maybe didn't go as perfectly as we had hoped. And instead of being able to say, okay, what did go well? What would I choose to keep in iteration 2.0? What would I choose to tweak a little bit? And what would I choose to do completely differently next time? We tend to look at it as, okay, that just was a failure. And we see it as black and white versus this kaleidoscope of, there's probably a lot of really useful information. I say there's data in the disasters and there's research in the rejection, but we have to be awake and present to be able to look with kindness and compassion and awareness and even the things that don't necessarily go well in our business, because there's Mm -hmm. also a lot of great information in our perceived mistakes. Yes, I really love that. And I I have to say, I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn is being able to fail and not take it so personally. And instead, look at that data, learn from it, and, you know, keep moving. Yeah. I mean, none of us like to fail, trust me. That feeling is so icky. But yet, I think this is a big part, especially when we're entrepreneurs. You know, we're so passionate about what we do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. You're not an entrepreneur. You have to be self-starter. You have to be driven. You have to be passionate. And that's both a blessing and a curse because the more passionate you are about something, it's hard for us sometimes, Adam, I don't know if you agree. I know for me sometimes it's hard to, con- to separate what I do from who I am. And that, when I come back to the breath and the present, it allows me that breathing space. So I get to see, oh, I made a mistake. It's not, I am the mistake, which we can often do. You know, it's not, oh, that was a perceived failure. Not, we're not the failure. There was an error there. There was a slight tweak that could have gone differently to give us a better outcome. But again, I think the more we care about what we do, it can be hard to differentiate sometimes the emotion of the disappointment versus it didn't go as well as we'd hoped versus being disappointed in ourselves. And that can be a very tricky, tricky place to reside. 
Yes. Yes, I agree. One of the things I've tried to do for myself and for my clients as well is just learning to create a, a safe space for yourself so that you can, you know, I think it's important to test things and to be able to fail safely, as I call it, you know, yeah, you know, learning. No, Sorry. Yeah. No, I like that. And I think the hard thing too is, Adam, you know, when I was growing up in the fitness world per se, I could fail over and over again and it wasn't going to be posted on social media. You know, it's hard these days. I had, I had a studio where I could go and fail big and fail in front of people, but yet that was kind of contained to the, the place where I was failing. Now, you know, you've got people filming you, you've got people commenting on you, you've got people tweeting about you. So one of the things that sometimes helps me is I heard Quincy Jones, he was talking about Whitney Houston and the struggles that many singers have when they're always searching for that high note. And he said, what I thought was so great, he said, do not let the critics get to your heart and do not let the praise go to your head. And that's what I try to do. You know, when things are going well and you're getting people saying, oh my God, I love what you're doing great. Thank you. Let that puff me up. And on the times I fail and fail again and fail again, and maybe someone comments on that, the way it's going to get better is like, hey, you have the courage. You're putting yourself out there. You're trying to make the world a better place. You're trying to leave the world a better place. You're doing it with great intention. That's the, Even if you failed, it was failing with courage and bravery, and you're still changing someone's life in a good way. I guarantee it. Mm. Yes. Well, taking that, I want to come back into perfectionism, which is the, you know, the subject of your book, The Perfection Detox. And can you tell us a little bit how, you know, when did you realize that perfectionism had become a problem for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's different for many of the people I work with. For me, the big aha wake up moment was, Adam, for many years, I thought perfect was actually helping me succeed. And my big moment when I realized, oh, this is not the shiny object that I thought it was, was when I look back and I was awake enough to notice how much work I'd actually been turning down because I was afraid I wasn't going to be perfect enough. So growing up as a child, my dad was an alcoholic. So without realizing it, I was too young at the time to notice what I was doing. I tried to become the perfect Petra to hide any chaos that was going on behind the scenes. No one was aware of it, but in Petra's mind as a young child, she thought everybody knew her dad was an alcoholic and a drunk. And, you know, going back 20 years later, I realized that everyone else's father also had a big drinking problem because I grew up in a small town in Northern England and that's what people did. And then moving in the dancing world, I had choreographers and instructors telling me, you're too much of this. You're not thin enough. You're not this enough. And I began to take on their stories and opinions about me as my truth. And then, to, to, you know, being a recover, recovering perfectionist, I want to add another layer on. And what happened was when I first started in the world of fitness in New York, the, you know, the barrier was low. I had nothing to prove. I loved every moment. And I really excelled through the ranks very quickly and then was being positioned as a fitness expert. And I'd never, I've always, I'd always been told in my childhood, you're not smart enough, you're stupid. And so what happened as an Adam is this idea of being a fitness expert. And I had this memory of, memory of me being told I was stupid. I suddenly felt like a fraud. 
oh, they're going to find out that I really don't know it all. And no one ever told me I did need to know it all. But it was this whole like this, this whole like juxtaposition in my head of this is what you think the world needs. This is what you really feel like you are. And what happened is it kind of manifested into low grade anxiety. And then because I didn't look at that, it then grew into panic and panic attacks. And that's when I started turning down work. And that's when I realized, hmm, I thought perfect was going to make my world larger and shiny and successful. And in reality, when I looked at it through a very, you know, honest lens, it's actually making my world smaller and limiting my capacity for joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a great insight. I know so many of us just get stuck in that not being able to move because we we know there's more work to do and afraid to move forward and you know that pulls in a ton more anxiety and issues i know going back to that for me i'll never forget one of the best things uh, my consultant said to me was you know he just told me like adam you don't have to be perfect you're not at, you know, if you're not at level 10, that's okay, because there's someone else working in that space. And, you know, let's say you're at level seven, and there are plenty of clients who that's exactly what they need at that time. And you're not going to be there forever either. And you're going to grow and then your clients will grow too. And there was just something about that, that, that really resonated with me. Yeah. And I think sometimes for us, especially for what, you know, for your listeners, if you're a coach or you're out there being a teacher, a thought leader, for many years, I felt like I had to know it all. And then the one of it similar to like you're the person you were, you know, talking with, we only need to know a little bit more <laughs> than the people we're trying to help. We don't need to know it all. And what happens is, the perfect Petra that I thought was inspiring people, the greatest thing we want, Adam, is to feel connected, is to feel that we can relate to the people who we're looking to for inspiration, education, motivation. If we're perfect, how can I relate to you? I always say we connect through our cracks. And now I say we connect through our cracks, but we don't want to hang out there. So if I was working with you, Adam, I'd, I'd need to know, or if someone's working with me, they need to know that I've also had struggles. I've had failures. I've had moments of not knowing. And then they also need to know that I now have the tools and strategies that got me out of that space. But I have to connect on a human level and perfection just doesn't allow for that. It, because if I'm perfect, how can I possibly empathize with your struggles? Mm. I love that. You have to connect, connect through the cracks. I'll have to steal that. I really It's yours. Uh, I'm sure I borrowed it from someone else too. But it's like that song, you know, the lamp that's the crack by Leonard Cohen. It's the cracks where the light gets in. And then what I realized recently is that, you know, people want to connect there, but also as a thought leader, they're looking to you to help them ease their pain. So I I added that last bit. We connect through our cracks, but we don't want to hang out there. But that truly is my greatest moments, my greatest relationships, my greatest um moments even in my work have happened and the unexpected times when maybe you shared a piece of yourself where you thought, oh, this is not the shiny bit, but this is the truth of my struggle in a similar situation. And then all of a sudden, like, because then you become a standing beacon of what is possible. It's like, oh, so Petra or Adam, they've also been on this 
this dark journey, you know, and we need contrast. I think to be interesting as a thought leader, as an entrepreneur, you need contrast, you need hits, you need misses, you need success, you need failures, you need good times, not great times. And I know for many of the people I relate to and who inspire me, I... I I liked, I listened to their lessons, but I also connected to them first through their struggles. Mm. Yes, I would, I would definitely agree with that and have seen that through my experiences as well. I wanted to, wanted to ask, how do you see, you know, when you're working with folks, what are some of the biggest ways that you see perfectionism as harming or harmful to our businesses? Oh, I think the big one is like you said before, we don't, we don't ship. We get, we get, we we get paralyzed. Um, and again, you know, the word perfect, I would say perfect is only a word until you attach an emotion to it. So for some of your listeners, they go, well, that's okay. You know, actually, and that's what, then I go a little deeper. I go, when you hear the word perfect, or if you think of being perfect in your business and then look at your personal relationships, your relationship with yourself, when you think of being perfect in that particular area of your life, does it bring you joy or does it suck the joy out of you? Because perfection is not a problem for all of us. And there's also parts of perfectionism that I don't want to let go of. Like, I know I'm a great friend. I know I'm thorough. I like to put out excellent work. But the difference now between who I was a few years ago, Adam, is I will put out work that is good enough. <laughs> I'm not going to wait for the perfect book, the perfect podcast, the perfect keynote, because otherwise I'll be waiting forever. So I think the biggest thing I see is this waiting for the perfect time, or I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. And really what we're trying to do is just prolong the idea of putting it out into the world because one of my favorite um, thought leaders is Seth Godin. And he says, to be remarkable means you'll be remarked upon the good and the not so good. So perfection can often hold us back from shipping our great work. It doesn't have to be our perfect work. That's at one area I see. The other area I see is where people work extremely hard, but there's no joy attached to it. The foundation has become dread, fear, doubt, worry, almost self-loathing, this idea I'm going to get found out. So we're striving, but it's being driven by everything that we're trying to hide versus when we can move from a place of curiosity, um, asking for help, saying I don't know, stretching myself, um, recognizing that mistakes are proof that we're trying, not saying that we want to make mistakes, but the more we expand our curiosity, our courage, the more we're going to fail. Um, and then again, I look at fail, F-A-I-L. It's simply a first attempts in learning. So when I can make my foundation of striving for greatness, one of playfulness, um, acceptance, curiosity, it, the, the work is going to be just as hard. But I often say, if you're working this hard, why don't you enjoy the journey? Not saying it's always going to be easy. Because sometimes I hear from entrepreneurs, especially, is, well, if I let go of this idea of perfection, it means I'm not going to be a success. And I come back to that with like, I think what you think your top level success is, could quite possibly be your mid-level success because perfection doesn't allow you to stretch yourself. It likes, it likes security. It likes to go with what is known. And to really excel and be a thought leader of the future, 
we got to, we have to try things. We have to be in the white powder. We have to try things that maybe even we are not sure that are going to work. Of course, we need backup plans. We need strategy. We need to think it through. We need to beta test things. But I think many times, you know, this idea of letting go of perfection does not mean that you're not going to work hard. But what it does differentiate, and for me, this is a big one, it means that who you are today, Adam, right at this moment, as you're listening to this podcast, you're enough. We are enough. And then there is work that we might need to do. There's research we might need to do. There's practicing, there's rehearsing, whatever it is that you're working on. But I think what perfection often does, it separates us from the best pieces of ourselves because oftentimes the very thing that the world is wanting is often the thing that we're trying to hide. For example, for me, the very thing I was really ashamed of for many years was this anxiety and panic around this idea of needing to be perfect. But this is actually where my greatest work is. This is now my calling, Adam, because I suffered from this for so long. And I tried to hide this part of myself when reality is actually the piece that people go, oh, they see them. They see themselves in, in my pain. I don't want this to be a therapy session, but I think for many of us, the very parts of ourselves we're trying to hide are quite possibly some of the magic elements that when we add that into our business not as therapy, but make that a part of our story because we know storytelling is so important. Um, it can really, it really can ignite your business to a whole nother level. Mm. I really loved what you said about, um, you know, perfectionism really putting a cap on what we think we can achieve. I had never thought of it exactly like that before, but it makes so much sense in the sense that if we are living as a perfectionist, then that's only going to extend as as far as the things we can control or we think that we can control. I think you said it right there, Adam. It's this because I think perfectionism really is. If we look at it through a very honest lens, we're trying to control everything. We're trying to control the outcome. We're trying to control our audience. We're trying to control our content. We're trying to control not even the content the audience's reaction to the content. And that is just a waste of energy and energy that we could be putting into creating wonderful content that not might not resonate with everybody. But the more honest we can be and let go of this idea of control, but really work on the things we can control and put our energy into that, Again, because the biggest concern I hear from people when they go, oh, if I let go of perfection, I'm suddenly going to be sitting on, they have this vision of themselves sitting on the couch, like binge watching Netflix. And, you know, trust me, there are moments when I do binge watch Netflix, but then I get to enjoy that. So it's not a black and white, all or nothing. But again, it's just allowing that freedom and, you know, painting outside the lines a little bit and having a sense of play um, and curiosity and excitement for this work that we're doing. We're working so hard. Let's get excited again about who we are and what we can bring to the world. Hmm. So taking a slightly different tack here, is perfectionism ever a good thing for us? You know, again, for everybody, I think there's parts of perfection that can be really, really useful. Uh, again, it oversteps its boundaries when we make perfectionism the basement level. When that actually becomes, if it's not perfect, I'm not going to start. If it's not perfect, I'm not going to try. That's when it becomes a problem. But there are parts of perfectionism um, when it's healthy, 
when it's healthy versus toxic. You know, we tend to be really excellent friends, excellent workers. We're diligent. We're caring. We have empathy. So there's a lot of great things about it. But again, it's also then just looking at it from both sides of the coins going, which part of this word do I want to keep? Which parts work well for me, not just for my work, but also for my sense of well-being? Because you can be a perfectionist and working really hard, but if your stress, your anxiety level, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling like there's a noose around your neck, you're going to get, that's no way to live. So look at the elements, like to kind of maybe dissect, you know, if you are a perfectionist or recovering perfectionist, as I say I am, I would say, look at the buckets of your life. Look at your work life, your self-care and your relationships. Because what I sometimes see, Adam, is people go, well, I'm a perfectionist at work and it's just working really well for me. And they say, okay, great. But how's your relationship with yourself? How's your relationship with your loved ones. And there's sometimes, not always, but most of the time, there's another area of our life that is suffering dramatically. And for many perfectionists, it's actually the relationship we have with ourselves because no one's going to judge ourselves harder. No one's going to beat ourselves up more than we are going to beat ourselves up. And it's really time, I feel, to change this conversation where you can do great work in the world and you can also enjoy the journey. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, one more question before we close out here, Petra, which is just, is there any advice you would give to entrepreneurs listening who might be struggling with perfectionism and not sure where to start? It's a great question. I think, Adam, the first thing is to know you're not alone. <laughs> Probably most of the people listening to the show right now, at some point, we're going to feel we, we ask, I think this is the big thing with entrepreneurs and I can speak to this because, you know, I'm in that space. The biggest thing we often deal with, I, I think, is who am I to be doing this? Is my voice worthy of being heard? Is my work being worthy of being seen? And at the end of the day, we get afraid because what happens is we turn the lens unwittingly on ourselves. We're afraid of being judged. We, you know, we all want everyone to love our work. It's, it's, it's absolutely human nature. What I'd invite your listeners to consider is when you get paralyzed, let's use that word. When you get paralyzed and stuck and like, I've got this idea, but really who am I to be sharing this kind of idea? Or I want to do this, but who am I to be taking up people's time? Again, it's that thing, who are you not to? And if you can change one, if you can make one person feel less alone, if you can help one person. So what I'd encourage everyone to do, and I do this when I get stuck too, because it's not always easy to do, turn the lens off you and onto the people you want to serve. Because what happens is instead of being, because fear is a natural reaction, Pema Chodron says this, we sometimes mistake what fear means. Fear means you see integrity care. Pema Children says, fear means you're getting closer to your truth. But when we can take the fear off us and then shine it onto the, making the world a better place, changing people's lives, as long as the intention is good and we're doing it to help people versus um, puff our own selves up, the world is waiting for your imperfect blog, your imperfect podcast, your imperfect whatever it is, because it needs your voice and only you can give your perspective. And then the other thing is, I think sometimes you wrestle with, oh, it's been done before. 
No, it hasn't because you haven't done it before. Well, Petra, thank you so much for being here. This was helpful on multiple levels. And for everyone listening, you can find more information about Petra at PetraKolber.com. That's P-E-T-R-A-K-O-L-B-E-R.com. And Petra, would you please take a few moments, tell us a little bit more about your services, your book, and how people can, can find you best. Oh, thank you so much. And this is where the recovering perfectionist cringes. But we, um, as you mentioned, my website on social media is Petra Kolber across all platforms. And if you want more information specifically about the book, it's perfectiondetox.com. And there you'll find, um, you know, more information about the book and all the other things that I do. Um, But thank you so much, Adam, for great questions and opening up this conversation that I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, struggle with, this idea that we feel like we have to be perfect or have the perfect product before we put it out into the world. And that is absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. Thank you so much, Petra. Thank you. 